You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Frankie. Oh, hey, Adam. Oh, hi. Good Frankie to see you there. You here. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing you on this Zoom call between us both. Yes. How's it going, Adam? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm up for an adventure. Yeah. Do you want an adventure? I'm ready to head to the wild, wild west and start. Wicked, wicked wild. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. a fun. This is surprisingly fun. This one, I have to say, there's some. Mm-hmm. There's some good gold in here. Yeah, there's uh, casual racism, there's pimp yep. coats, there's... <laughs> the trifecta, uh, yeah, there's, there's everything. There's a movie connection, it's, a, it's good fun. There is. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, The Adventure of the Western Star is today's focus, and um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good fun one. Hmm. But before we do leap in, Frankie, do we have any correspondence? Yes, we do, Adam. This is seamless, isn't it? We've done this before, you can tell. (laughs) I, first of all, before we get into it, I want to thank people for all the lovely comments on the... I did a post about it's been over a year since you and I met on Twitter. Not not the show starting. No. Literally met. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And all because of Poirot and Mm. the endless gifts that he gives us all. And we had so many lovely comments and feedback on on our little duo. So I just want to thank everyone for being oh. so lovely and for yeah for listening this whole time and coming with thank us on you. this this journey. So it feels like we've been friends for much longer than a year. It does. I, I mean, it could took say us... it's a form of torture. Like oh, <laughs> like I've been in. Yes, Frankie, life that's sentence. what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take a compliment. <laughs> Never. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, I put a thing out on Secret History of Hollywood uh, Twitter saying, "Does anyone fancy doing a Poirot podcast?" I mean, yeah, everyone knows this story anyway. We talked about it in the first episode, but yeah, like we've become super good friends, haven't we? So, yeah, uh, we're the best. It's nice, pals. It's very nice. And I, before we even did the podcast, I was really nervous about doing this podcast because mm-hmm. you are already incredibly successful podcaster and you, oh, yeah, shut you up, take Frank. a compliment. No, uh, you take a compliment. You take two. You take it and like it. <laughs> uh, and you, yeah, already very successful podcaster. You already have, you know, a lot of very loyal, lovely listeners to your podcasts. And I was thinking that people are going to listen to this and go, uh, who the hell is this? Where the hell did Adam find her? She's damn defensive and uh, <laughs> dirty swine. You're damned offensive. Dirty swine. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for everyone for, for putting up with me and for being so nice and for listening. It's one of the stars. the star of the show. It's oh, a, shush. You know, Anyway, um, enough of mutual masturbation. <laughs> Thank you very much. What are you doing under the table? Uh, yes, we'll do some emails instead. How about that? Uh, yes, do that. <laughs> so, first email is from Tony Ingerson. Oh, uh, yeah, Tony Ingerson. Yes. I do know Tony, yes. You know hey, Tony. Tony. 
Hey, Tony. And his, his subject line is a request. Mm. And he says, hi, Joe and Frankie. So you're good friends, are you? <laughs> <laughs> my, my Twitter name is Audio Joe. So perhaps he, perhaps he thinks my name is Joe. <laughs> But if you listen to the podcast, uh, he probably knows. uh, Um, (laughs) Best friends. Uh, Hey, Joe and Frankie. Long time listener from Sweden here since the very first episode. Clearly he's been paying very close attention. Uh, I have a question I've been thinking of sending for quite some time, but never gotten round to. Is it, what is the male co-host's name? (laughs) Who the hell is that guy? Who the hell is presenting that with Frankie? (laughs) He says, if it's not too much trouble, could you please play a couple of sound bites from the Italian police captain from Triangle at Rhodes? I know... (laughs) I know it's been quite some time since you covered that episode, but I haven't been able to forget that incredible accent. I was even a little bit disappointed he wasn't brought up again, especially since you got into an Italian accent territory again last time, obviously on um, the adventure of the cheap flat. We went a little bit Italian. (laughs) Well, the reason why it hasn't been brought up since is because... It was not an Italian accent, so completely <laughs> out of my head. Well, he says it was a great episode, by the way. So oh, thanks, t- thanks, Tony. Thanks, thanks. From Joe. <laughs> he says, love the show. Keep up the great work. Getting Captain Hastings on as a guest was an amazing feat. All the best, Tony. Thanks, Tone. <laughs> Big Tone. Joe. That's <laughs> uh, brilliant. So, yeah, Thank thanks, you. Tony. Yeah, we'll stick some clips in. Go. Mrs. Chantry was a very beautiful woman. A public affair was taking place between her and Douglas Gold. But uh, Commander Chantry was a very possessive husband. He would not relinquish his wife. The lover poisons the husband's glass, and then, just when his attention is elsewhere, the wife drinks it instead. Echo. There is no doubt, Signore. When the cold-blooded Englishman comes out into the sun, perhaps it warms his passion. I stick at the clips in. Stick <laughs> at the clips. <laughs> Another email came in from Mike the Cabbie, a returning oh, emailer. You may nice. remember I from such Mike previous emails as the last one he sent. Dear Frankie and Joe. <laughs> he, he gets your name right, so points for Mike. He says, hi, Frankie and Adam. I heard Adam, Adam's twice he's name-checked you. This is a good start. He said, I heard Adam on the last podcast say he'd like Anthony Horowitz to write some Poirot stories. Can I recommend to you The Magpie Murders on the BBC, which has a detective, Atticus Pund, who is as close to Poirot without being Poirot, in my opinion, as I've ever seen. And yeah, I've read the book of that. I've not watched the series yet, but I'm really desperate to because it's very, very good. It's on my radar. I'll watch anything yeah. that Anthony Horowitz writes. So, yeah. yeah I'll watch no, him, anything definitely... he does. Yeah, I've, I've, or... I've seen it trailed and I've seen it on iTunes and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'll get around to that soon. Yeah. Great cast Thank you, though. everything. Uh, he says, also, on the Jonathan Creek stories, as I remember them, Adam Klaus, the magician, was a That's ledge. It, Adam Klaus. No. But the story was that Jonathan came along afterwards smoothing everything over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> he was the fixer. He had to... <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah. He has to hustle the girls out of the uh, back door and uh, Mr. Klaus's wife turns up and things like that. Yeah. Or when his other girlfriends turn up. Yes. Yeah. In those mm. in the in the one of the magic tricks of the box with the secret door or whatever. Mm. Anyway, he says, Love the show, <laughs> Mike the Cabbie. So Thanks, Mike. Lovely to hear from you again. Yes, and good tip on that. And that reminds me actually, another thing I wanted to mention. Have you, Adam, watched Why Didn't They Ask Evans yet? The, the new one with Lucy Boynton. 
Yes. No, I haven't. Is it good? It is good. I really enjoyed mm. it. Yeah, it's Hugh really Hugh Laurie fun. directed it, didn't he? Didn't he and wrote it. it and directed it. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Uh, and Will mm. Poulter's in it. And it's really, it's really good. It feels like Agatha Christie. It feels like an Agatha Christie, not like some other recent adaptations that I have seen trailers for lately. Oh, what would that hmm. be? Well, <laughs> we actually had a <laughs> submission as well on Twitter from Vicky, who said that she's already watched today's episode this afternoon, so she's ready for it, but wondering if there'll be any comment on the abomination of a trailer that dropped today. I watched it with my family because mm-hmm. i saw it come around. i was like oh yeah that trailer is it called a haunting in venice or some yeah haunting haunting in venice and it's like partly based on halloween party right Allegedly. so um yeah i i watched it mm-hmm. and everyone i was watching watching it with made the same comment it looks really good until kenneth branner appears and you yes. go oh yeah yeah um yeah and it's and, and it's not even like i Michelle Yeoh is great and everything. Love her. But, um, like, yeah, she's fantastic. And she does, and you can hear, because we had subtitles on, and the female narration over it... Tina Fey. ...comes up as Ariadne. Yeah. So, obviously, it's going to be Ariadne Oliver. You know, all of that. She's, ha- she's in the Halloween party, so that makes sense. Yeah. So, But as soon as he appears and starts waffling on about, you know, this is... He starts using metaphors and talking about how life is strange and life is mysterious and all this kind of thing. It just it just fizzles straight out on it. And as well, it's not a great trailer because there's a bit of wind blowing and stuff and then you just see him in a bathroom looking shocked at something. It's like, why is it? Like, no. There's no sense of what the story's about. Oh, God, yeah. I think I'm with you these days. <gasps> yes. I think, I, think, I think I'm branded out. The thing that annoys me about the whole thing... Is that okay? So he's taken the Halloween party, put it in Venice for some reason. Yeah, maybe he's wanted to go on holiday. Uh, yeah. And it, the whole seance aspect—it seems like he's taken bits from the last seance as well. The other, another mm. Agatha Christie book. And somebody made a comment on t- online, and I thought actually that's very valid. They said when they first started watching it, they thought it was a trailer for the new Conjuring film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that I totally got. Where yeah. Kenneth Branagh goes wrong is that he's trying to be Poirot <laughs> in this. He could have done a detective story, a murder mystery, or some sort of weird horror murder mystery crossbreed thing without being Poirot. Uh, but he had to do that. He had to cling to Poirot. And we could do that. And it's not, he's not Poirot. He's just not Poirot. And uh, it's damned offensive. You're damned offensive. And he's a dirty swine. Dirty swine. So. Finished? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> it's so funny. Or someone else do is mention Kenneth Banner and Poirot and Frankie's like, right. <laughs> my favorite my my favorite thing, inevitably in the real world or in the world of in my professional life, I when I meet people and I say I like Poirot, I say I like Agatha Christie, they see my tattoos and they'll go, Oh, what, what do you think of the Kenneth Branner films? <laughs> and it takes <laughs> And I feel sorry for them because they they were not prepared for what came afterwards. Uh, she she seemed so nice when we first started talking. To her. <laughs> uh, so yes, in conclusion, uh, the trailer looks great. We can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. Yes. <laughs> the next email needs to be a calming. <laughs> You've had Branner. <laughs> this one is nice and not damn defensive. You're damned offensive. So we've got um, on Twitter from uh, Fire Phoenix Seven. 
Okay. He says, there is an ABC murders point and click game I played with my girlfriend. It was quite good for an evening. Have you two played it or, or any other point and click style adventure puzzle games? Keep up the great podcast and it's a good episode this week. So, Ooh. yeah. Oh, funnily enough, I've played a point and click and then there were none game Ooh. Uh, a couple of years ago. That was quite fun. Yeah. They're, they're, they're good. I mean, I, I like them, but um, I... Have you ever tried them? I've played the only one, I've, the only game I've played. I'm, and forgive my ignorance on the subject of what does point and click mean. It's like you get a room scene and you have to. Oh, and you click on the clues zoom into. And... You click on the clues and then right. it takes you. Yes, to I have. Thing. Then I have the, the the on the Xbox Poirot's early cases. That yes, game. I remember that. Yeah, I got that for my birthday last year. I played that. Oh, cool. Did yeah. you play it much? I did a bit, but I kept getting annoyed because I had other questions I wanted to ask <laughs> the, <laughs> the uh, witnesses and stuff so i uh, yeah detective games are funny are funny, are funny things aren't they? Mm. they they're obviously quite popular because they keep making them there's lots of yeah. horror ones lots of sherlock holmes new one coming out too yeah i do think to myself though like if if you're a fan then it's aimed at you but if yeah. you're a fan you also know how it ends what happens so it's very odd it's like yeah as you say you get a game of and then they were none or the abc mm. murders it's like this is aimed at me because i love Poirot and i play computer games but i know how it ends if you're going to rewrite it, why have you made it the ABC Murders? <laughs> yeah, which is like one of the they should do. They should make a game of uh, the King of Clubs and make it better. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> yeah, that would be fine. That's a, that would be very helpful. If they make a Poirot video game, don't mm-hmm. base it on one of his stories. Is my point? Yeah. You know, do something new with it, or do yeah, completely because agree. That, that would be intriguing. Yeah. Yes. But yes, they're great. Yes. <laughs> I imagine that is a fun way to spend an evening, actually. If you're playing with someone else, maybe it's fun as well. Mm. I think I, I was taking it too seriously by myself, so maybe it needs someone to, like... <laughs> Perhaps we should do it together and yeah, get really frustrated fun. with each other. We could do a Twitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the kids do. Um, do the kids do that? Anyway. Yeah. They TikTok each other. <laughs> You are 400 years old in that moment. Uh, we had a message from Katie, and she asked... If you were to pick one thing that says each of the characters to you, how, I basically I had to ask a few questions about this. But basically, you know, if you were going to play like do a Monopoly board of Poirot and you had to pick a little mm. piece that represents each of the Whitehaven four, okay. mm-hmm. what would you pick? I think uh, a filing cabinet for Miss Lemon. <laughs> a really uh, clunky filing cabinet piece to <laughs> move around the board. Um, uh, a little racing car. It's got to be for Hastings, isn't it? Got to be Lagonda. <laughs> A little pie for Jack. <laughs> I don't know why. Like a, a steak and kidney pie? Yeah, like a pasty. Oh, yeah. oh there you go. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. For Poirot. Oh, my goodness me. A little metal brooch. You know, what's that little mm-hmm. pink thing? The little lapel thing with the flowers in it. Mm. Or um, like, does it have to be a Monopoly piece? No. No? Okay. What would you pick? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought car, obviously, for, for Hastings. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Jap, a pasty is perfect. I don't really know. Or like a, a spotted dick. Because <laughs> 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 he talks about it in that Christmas episode. Mm. Uh, and... For Poirot, actually. Pound coin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that... Ooh, like, ooh. <laughs> 
<laughs> Every time you move it, like, yeah, <laughs> give it a wipe. Yeah. Uh, you push yeah. it with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> with his walking stick, you can use that. It's two pieces. Yeah, uh, yeah Miss Lemon at Filing Cabinet's a good one because she loves the perfect filing system. But yeah, I can't, or a typewriter, a working typewriter. Mm. A working one, yeah. Yeah. Or a magnet because of her magnetism, perhaps. <laughs> nice. Very good. There you go. <laughs> and all the other pieces would be drawn to her because of the magnet magnetism. Yeah. And it, it all makes sense. <laughs> this is a, this is a strange question, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Cool. Go. Okay. So Poirot eighty four on Instagram asks: After the funeral or death on the Nile? If you had to pick one. Oh, death on the Nile. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. After the funeral good but, <gasps> after the funeral um, yeah. scares the crap out of me i can't wait to get to that episode yeah um yeah i mean ah uh, it, it, it's difficult when it's like this story or this story you know, like why those two yeah i know it's a strange strange <laughs> like, pick death on yeah. the nile or problem at sea that would be like Ooh, a hard that's a good question well, and what's your answer mine would be problem at sea i think that's genius it is genius death on the I nile like is death amazing as well mm. oh my god mm. yeah i do like a bit of opulence Especially in the Poirot's. Oh, I like too. a travel one. I like yeah. Murder in Mesopotamia, actually. I really like that. I and I really, really love, love the solution to the mystery as well. It's too. really clever. Murder in Mesopotamia is great. And actually, it's way further down the line than I thought it was. Because I, I thought mm. about it recently. And I was like, oh, I wonder, how, wonder when we get to that. It's way further down. But I love it. And when I did my English degree, we studied the book as part of my co- and my degree. Yeah, is that not the best wow. thing ever? I know. Really and Murder in the Vicarage. I had a great degree. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they really tailored that to me. You really did. One last thing, and this is more just for us to discuss, Adam. Craig okay. on Twitter asks, when's the next live watch along? Now, I... Really sorry. I, I want us to do one sooner, and I keep thinking to myself, oh, must arrange one. Yeah, I'm incredibly busy at the moment because there's so much going on. In answer to your question, Craig, we've just seamlessly had a discussion about it, and uh, we're thinking <laughs> maybe the 4th of June. Mm. Sunday tea time uh, yeah. for us here in the UK. So it'll be uh, the 4th of June, Sunday the 4th of June at 1700 BST. <laughs> well, I'll do posts about it on on the socials and we'll post links and things so keep your eyes peeled but yeah that'll be fun cool great yes please do join us um we'll just put a link out on our socials nearer to the time but yeah just click on through jump on in choose a username (laughs) and have a chat with us live as we watch the first episode of season three which is how does your garden grow all ready for the next season of this podcast whoop whoop exciting (laughs) you say hola (laughs) hola (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think it's Spanish. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, shall we jump into the episode then? Let's go on an adventure. Mm, to the Eastern Star. Western. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frankie, what are the Whitehaven 4 up to? So the episode opens up on Jap doing a little bit of surveillance work. It's Jap and another detective, it seems, and they are hanging out in Hatton Garden in London. And those of you international listeners who perhaps don't know Hatton Garden, it is a very famous district of London where jewels and jewellery is made and crafted. So they're lurking around there and they're watching a couple of men. Uh, that sounded dodgy. <laughs> watching a couple of men, cruising for men around Hatton Garden. And <laughs> <Aren't> we all. <laughs> and they, they arrest Henrik 
Van Brax on the charge of receiving gemstones, knowing them to be stolen. And as I put in my notes, putting the Brax on his plans, no doubt. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did I write it down, I said it again out loud. <laughs> so very good, very very good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love a pity. Very good. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so that's what Jap's doing. Well, back at Whitehaven Mansions, uh, Miss Lemon is putting on a huge spread of sandwiches and finger buns and cakes and all this kind of thing. <laughs> because Poirot is expecting a very special visitor, isn't he? Yes. The best bit as well is that they're kind of, he's, he's Poirot's flapping around and everything's got to be perfect. He's being even more fastidious than normal. And he's saying, where the hell is bloody Hastings? And Hastings is in the club. <laughs> Show is. Where's Captain Hastings? He's not back from lunch yet. What is he thinking of? It is half past three. He was lunching at his club. Bah, that club. <laughs> <laughs> Always in the club. And my favourite bit when Hastings does show up, he just walks in and goes, What's cooking? <laughs> Hey, you crazy cats. <laughs> it's my favourite thing in the world. Because it's so unhastings. Like, I think he means physically what is cooking because there's loads of food. <laughs> but... but it comes across as a kind of genteel 1920s sop. <laughs> so, what's cooking good looking? Like, hey. <laughs> so perfect. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yes, Poirot is about to be visited by... Belgium's most famous movie star, Marie Marvel. Marie Marvel is coming to tea. Who? Oh. What's up? You do not know who is Marie Marvel? Can't say I do, no. He's not good, Poirot. Marie Marvel is the greatest film star Belgium has ever produced. I think she's the only film star Belgium's ever produced. You do not remember La Tendresse Orageuse? How oh, what? Un de coeur? I didn't even know they made films in Belgium. In the short story, she's a Hollywood movie star. And nothing really? To do with yeah, so this is another touch they've added to give, a, to give it a bit more of a comedic touch. Because, it, you know, several <laughs> times. <laughs> what are you talking about in Belgium? As a movie I think industry? she's the only film star Belgium's ever produced. <laughs> I know, Hastings is like, he just, he just kicks his way in there and just, yeah. oh, I'm going to say what everyone's thinking, damn it. What's cooking? No Belgium had no film stars? Oh, it's like bad boy Hastings. It's so <laughs> Coming <funny>. in hot. <laughs> uh. The way that Poirot says, have you never heard of blah, 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 blah? <laughs> What about blah, blah, blah? <laughs> Hastings is going to go down to his local art house cinema and sit through five or six Belgian <laughs> dramas. I, yeah, I can't really see Hastings getting on well with subtitles, if I'm honest. Mm. Good Lord, Poirot, it's like reading while you're at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then there's a moment of potential heartbreak where Miss Lemon gets a phone call and she says that Marie Marvel isn't coming. And his face, Poirot's face in that moment is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen. But then mm. it's okay because she's saying, come over to my hotel room. So it's all okay. And the day is saved. Mm -hmm. He arrives at the hotel and it has the most magnificent name. <sighs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. called The Magnificent. I want to stay there. It's beautiful, <laughs> isn't it? I looked it up. Um, I knew I recognised it, and it's the Freemasons Hall in Covent Garden. It's not nice. a hotel. It's a... I didn't realise it was a hotel. Yeah, it's not a hotel. 
It's a front. <laughs> Wait <laughs> oh, no, a yeah, second. But... The whole store is full of holes. <laughs> yeah, it's a really beautiful, the most ostentatious, elaborate hotel you've ever seen in your entire life. But yeah, mm. of course, only the best for Belgium's best movie star. And the Freemason. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> yes, he arrives and does a very cute little sort of Belgian curtsy. <laughs> A Belgian curtsy sounds like some kind of very genteel <laughs> sex. sex act. <laughs> what could it be? That's, that's a the mind for boggles. <laughs> that's a conversation for our late night episode. <laughs> I asked her to bend over a chair, and then I gave her the old Belgian curtsy. <laughs> Good Lord. Good grief. I say. Hmm. It's not just to have a lovely day of hanging out uh, with a film star, though. Marie Marvel is in great distress, and she's brought Poirot in for a reason, because she's been receiving some letters saying that her precious jewels that she owns, one in particular, is going to be stolen. Dun-dun-dun. Apologise for not coming to your office, but I did not dare to leave the hotel after the last of these arrived this afternoon. Mm. Cheap paper with a name and address carefully printed. The great diamond, which is the left eye of the god, must return whence it came. The second one's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Ah, but not the third. You have not obeyed. Now the diamond will be taken from you. At the full of the moon, the two diamonds, which are the left and the right eye of the god, shall return so it is written strong stuff so terrifying (laughs) good adding a sense of drama thank you (laughs) yes apparently um marie marvel's diamond is part of a set of two uh they were both the eyes of a chinese idol Mm. am i getting that right Um, idol yes (laughs) Um, one one is known as the Western Star and one is known as the Eastern Star and uh, one belongs to Marie Marvel. The other belongs to a family called the Yardleys who are kind of country aristocrats. We'll get to them in a little while. Anyway, Marie Marvel's been having warning letters saying that the Great Diamond, the left eye of the god, must return to whence he came. Because she's not obeyed, uh, these letters have now said that the diamond will be stolen from her at the full of the moon. So there you go. And she says that the letters were delivered by a Chinaman. Yikes. Yeah, this is another trigger warning probably for this episode about... Yeah. It's, the language is a little problematic in this one again. It's a bit fruity in this, yeah. Because mm. um, there's lots of talk of Chinamen and nefarious Chinamen and yes. people that look like Chinamen and... Stereotypes so that, and yeah, I mean, all sorts. yeah, they don't come out and really sort of start offending them. But it's oh look, I've just got attacked by a Chinaman, or there's a nefarious Chinaman writing me a letter. So if if that's something you don't particularly want to be a part of, then maybe skip this episode. Yes. Yeah, there there are some there are some yikes moments in this, mm. but but yeah. again, take it with a pinch of salt. As we said last time, it's and also it's. I mean, no spoilers because we're going to talk about it later. But it's you know, it's kind of inherent to the plot that there's this, yeah, yeah this it, this it villainous character that mm. they're talking about a lot. So anyway, so um, Marie Marvel's stone that is uh, apparently going to be stolen at the full of the moon is known as the Western Star. 
So, uh, there we go. Title drop. Bosh. Oh, so it is there. Very clever. <laughs> and uh, the next full moon is three days away. So, uh, basically, Poirot's got to work out. Poirot's got to work out. Who is coming for the, uh, the Western Sun? Stop them in time. Yes. He basically implores Marie Marvel to leave the diamond with him. He'll look after it. Leave it with Papa Poirot, he says. You will leave it with Papa Poirot? Mm-hmm. God damn, that's hot. <laughs> it's uh, named Pizza Brand, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that would be the most exquisite pizzas of your of your life. It's shaped like a pound coin. Sorry, oh, again. Uh, <laughs> Pepperoni. <laughs> Don't smell Hopefully. it. <laughs> um, yeah. And she unfortunately does not listen to Poirot's wonderful advice, and she is in- insistent on taking. The, the necklace with her when they go and visit the Yardleys, who the aforementioned Yardleys, who also mm. have the other diamond. Marie Marvel and her husband, Gregory Rolf. Gregory Rolf, another Belgian, mm. in quote marks. Uh, and they they want to make a film with the Yardleys, and they want to um, they're, they're working on a deal there, so they're they're going to see them, and she's insistent on taking the diamond with her for some reason, even though Poirot is saying, "Leave it with me, I'll look after it, I'll pop it up with the pound coin, <laughs> no one will find it." Uh, and, uh, <laughs> speaking of the pound coin, though, I think Marie Marvel could have maybe borrowed one from Poirot because her accent is a little iffy in places. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, mm. I'll just say yeah. <laughs> She's very good, lovely. But... Yeah, she she's lovely, and uh, to be honest, I think anyone who dares to put on an accent next to David Suchet, who, yeah, and they're always going to suffer. So uh, yeah, I think everyone it's because he's got all the pound buy. coins in there. They can't get their hands on one. <laughs> it reminds me of. Um, I mean, I know we played the clip in the very first episode, but um, the way he yeah. came to the Poirot accent is so clever. It you is. Know, he gives it the guttural Flemish, and he gives it you know the low things but then because he's a cerebral man he talks from his head and not his chest and the way he comes to it it's like whoa (laughs) he if you see the poirot and me stage show that he does sometimes i have seen it i've been very fortunate uh he does it live and you watch him do it and you're like oh and it's very arousing so i highly recommend it (laughs) please yeah uh so anyway she she refuses to give him the stone. Marimavel takes Poirot to see the stone, and it's very very beautiful. He has a look at it, but yeah, she's she's taking it with her, and she's not going to be moved on that. Uh, and then Gregory Rolf shows up, the husband. He's a character, isn't he, Adam? He sure is, isn't he? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> he looks like um, an Easter Island statue. <laughs> yeah, he has the craziest, like deep, like. If for classic Hollywood lovers like myself, the mm. name of Rondo Hatton will stir up a kind of, you know, an image of... He has incredible, like, great big brows, doesn't he? Mm. Um, yeah, he's a very distinctive looking chap. He looks a bit like Boris Karloff. Yeah, and I think, like, Boris Karloff crossed with Bela Lugosi with like, the darkness mm. of him. He'd be a good Dracula, probably. He would, yeah. Mm. He has yeah. A, a, yeah, very distinctive face. Yes, he does. Uh, and yeah, he he basically says, oh, you know, he agrees that she should leave the diamond with Poirot. But, you know, you know what women are like? We're always trying to outdo each other with our jewels. So that's why she's insistent <laughs> on taking it. But then just as they're chatting in the corner of the of uh, the room, who do we spot? But Jap back on the scene. And mm. uh, he goes with Poirot while Poirot gets a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. As you do. 
Uh, yeah, he's uh, still trailing Henrik van Brax. There seems to be some sort of scent of a connection between this threatening letter, there's a diamond that's apparently going to be stolen, and then all of a sudden you have Henrik van Brax on the scene, who is an internationally sort of known for being involved in lots of jewel thefts and jewel selling and yeah. reselling, like a black market thing. Yeah, yeah. so uh, things seem to be sort of stirring into action. And that's when Lady Yardley turns up at uh, Whitehaven Mansions. And I love the fact that, you know, we get another one of those beautiful Hastings moments where he decides to take charge of the situation. He kind of, um, because it's Lady Yardley and he mm-hmm. feels as like, though so he has gr- the gr- uh, grasp of the situation, he decides to take a leap into Poirot's seat. And uh, there's a beautiful scene. How do you do, Lady Yardley? I'm Arthur Hastings. I know why you've come here. You know? You have received blackmailing letters about the diamond. Do sit down. You know, how? Logic, Lady Yardley. If Marie Marvell has had warning letters. Marie Marvell has been here. And if she, as holder of one of the twin diamonds, has received a series of anonymous letters delivered by a Chinaman threatening to steal them at the next full moon, it logically follows that you would have received similar missives. That's amazing. Ice cold logic. Lady Yardley. The deductive process. He basically tells her what's going on, so she doesn't even need to mm. say a word. Lady Yardley, I was like, mm. oh, yes, yes, that's why I was here exactly. So Ice cold logic. <laughs> <laughs> do you think do you think Hastings knows what that means <laughs> as he says the no. words? <laughs> Bless him, but he looks adorable doing it. Yes, he does. So then Hastings and Poirot go down to Yardley Chase, where the Yardleys live. Uh, it's not just a clever name. They chase the Yardleys down. Uh, and they're, they're, they're chatting on the train about it. Uh, but she, apparently, there's a slight difference in the letters that Lady Yardley's been receiving. Marie Morel's have been coming from a Chinaman. Lady Yardley's have apparently been delivered by post, but they smell strongly of jasmine. So that's a weird little detail, but one you notice. Um, also, can I just jump back a slight moment to a beautiful golden piece of moment where... Poirot is back at the hairdresser because he's worried his sideburns aren't even. <laughs> Monsieur Bennett, after you cut my hair last week, I went home and I measured each sideburn. As I suspected, the left one was three millimeters longer than the right. Let us make the effort, Monsieur Bennett, not to make a similar travesty today. A haircut is a partnership, Monsieur Bennett. It is a joint venture. I bring to it my hair, you your undoubted skills. <laughs> And he's still talking about it on the train. He's really concerned. <laughs> and it's just so perfectly Poirot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah. I, li- I, like, I like when uh, he talks about that <laughs> the haircut is a joint venture. Yeah. Your Bennett. <laughs> and it's like, just cut his hair. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Bennett feels like it has to be his partner. But, mm, yes, anyway. Yes. Anyway. But yeah, so they arrive at Yardley Hall and they meet Lord Yardley. And Lord Yardley <laughs> is uh, surprisingly candid, actually, with Poirot and Hastings. And he says he thinks the letters are all nonsense. And he didn't even know there were two of them. Like, this is, you mm. know, craziness. He thinks the letters are nothing to worry about. It's just like silly. But he does also reveal that they're hard up. The Yardley family are struggling for money. And he, although he's been working on this deal with 
with Rolf and Marie Mavell, it's not enough money for what he needs. So they're actually planning to sell yet Lady Yardley's Eastern Star Diamond to help cover the costs of things. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we are at the moment. Um, Marie Marvel's Western Star has uh, had a threat against it from a Chinaman's letter, apparently. <laughs> uh, three In three days, it's going to be nicked. And the Yardleys are planning to sell the Eastern Star that they own to raise money. But they've also had threatening letters. Yeah, so they, then they see Lady Yardley again, and they're talking about the diamond, and Poirot says, oh, you know, I've seen Marie Marvel's one. It's very, very beautiful, and... They're chatting and Lord Yardley says, oh, why don't you wear yours to, to dinner, Lady Yardley? She does, he doesn't call her that. That's not her name. Her name's Maud. Uh, so he encourages her. She's very reticent to wear it and she doesn't want to because she says that it's in the ugliest setting you have ever bloody seen. Mm-hmm. But he he pushes her and she says, okay, fine, I'll wear the diamond. Because that was these are the days when you would dress up in your finest jewels for dinner. Yes. Yeah. What a time. It's It's like, but not even dinner with anyone, you know, no. just just because it was evening time. Yeah. Go, oh, I must change for dinner. I kind of like that. I do. But I, the last thing I'd want to do after cooking a roast bloody dinner is then go and put a suit on and sit down. <laughs> but the difference is you wouldn't be cooking it, right? That would be your your help would be doing that for you. And you just get to swan down in your your smoking jacket in the evening or whatever. <laughs> and partake. Sit in my front room being bored for four hours while someone made roast dinner for me. You're like, oh, I love, can I help? <laughs> can I help? Can I can watch I some <laughs> Exactly that. So mm. they dress for dinner. They all look great. Very sharp. They arrive at dinner. Mm. Mm. Lady Yardley arrives in the doorway, doesn't she? And yes. uh, makes a comment about ready to see the most ugly necklace in yeah. the world. Behold the sacrifice. Um, yes. And she, uh, <laughs> she says, I'm just going to. Turn on the uh, the main light so that you can see it. And as she does, well, it's probably best if we just play a clip. Behold the sacrifice. C'est magnifique. No, no, wait till I turn the main light on. Then you may feast your eyes on the ugliest necklace in England. Darling, what happened? The Chinaman. What? Side door. Where is it? There, that one. It's here. Whoa, what a kerfuffle. What's happened? Oh, no. Lady Harvey's <laughs> necklace has been taken. She's on the floor. They're trying to figure it out. Uh, they, She says, oh, Chinaman. And <laughs> <laughs> he's gone that way. And so Hastings is like, right, let's do it. And then he runs to the door and sees little bit of a silk robe has been caught in the door presumably from the chinaman rough (laughs) and uh the necklace is also down by the door but the diamond the eastern star dun 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 has been uh stolen it's not (gasps) what that's right it's gone true (laughs) so then oh also one thing we forgot to mention before all this happened, while they're just chatting about the diamond, guess who bloody shows up at the house? Only bloody Henrik von Brax, who's been sent there by Hoffman to help deal with the sale of the Eastern Star. So not only has the Eastern Star been stolen, a man that is known to buy stolen jewels and be involved in jewellery tomfoolery, as they say in Poirot, uh, he's on the scene 
So, and naturally, wherever Henrik von Brax goes, Jap is lurking in a bush following him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jap meets them outside, and um, yes, apparently, he doesn't want to come the old acid. Why do you lurk, Chief Inspector? I've just trailed Van Brax down here. You're mixed up with this diamond business, aren't you? Diamond business? Don't come the old acid with me, Poirot. Qu'est-ce que c'est, the old acid, Chief Inspector? <laughs> I had to look that up too. When he's like, qu'est-ce que c'est? I'm like, yeah, what, qu'est-ce que c'est? What does that mean? What, do, what does it mean? I looked it up, it's in my notes. To behave in an unpleasant, aggressive or overbearing manner. Huh. Yeah. Don't don't act like acid to me. <laughs> I, I never really think of acid as being overbearing. <laughs> I guess it is. I guess it is. I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're being dissolved in it, yeah. Yeah, that's a very overbearing chemical. Like, I think Dennis Nielsen found it quite um, overbearing and powerful. <laughs> Good for cleaning a bath. Then the coppers turn up, don't they? And as you delightfully put here, they hit small pissing contests. With <laughs> <some chat. laughs> yes. Who are you? What's going on? I'll ask the question, Sonny, if you don't mind. Scotland Yard. Twigavoo? Oh, uh, very sorry, sir. Just doing my job, sir. Twigavoo? <laughs> I love it when um, he's sort of accosted by a, a Bobby, you know, yes. <laughs> and they sort of try to drag him off by the ear, and he, he's like sighs and reaches into his jacket, and you think, here it comes. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> about to get owned. All right, lads. Uh, yeah, my I, also Twiggy Vu is delightfully Del Boy in his response, but it's perfect. <laughs> it really is. It's so good. It's like the, uh, the need to speak in that sort of dialect just rubs off every time yeah. it's with Poirot. It's amazing. But yeah, so then they, they once once we figure out the Jap shouldn't be arrested and yeah, he they finds that he finds out that another jewel has been stolen and he's like, Well, obviously it's bloody he's like, It can't have been Brax though, but I was following him and Hastings and Poirot were like, Don't worry about it, Jap. Come on, we're going back to London. We'll tell you all about it on the train, all good. Because Hastings theorises that Marie Mavelle's diamond naturally is going to be next. If the Eastern Star is gone, the Western Star is likely ne- next on the thieves, the Chinaman, or his list. <laughs> Ooh, I hate it. Um, the thing is, Hastings is right. They arrive <gasps> back to the magnificent <laughs> hotel, and <laughs> so, what a sentence to utter. Yeah. Um, the Western Star has been stolen. Apparently, uh, a man that looked very much like Gregory Rolfe, except that he had Chinese eyes. This is where it gets a little bit murky, isn't it? Yeah. Um, unfortunately. A man who looked very much like Gregory Rolf, we tried to describe him earlier on, very sort of Boris Karloff, sort of Raymond Massey-ish kind of face. Yeah. Turned up and demanded that the poor, is it porter? Home, yeah. Home, hotel staff, whatever. Yeah, hotel staff got the, got the jewellery box from his wife's room and handed it over to him, signed a receipt and then took it away. That's how it was stolen. Um, Gregory Rolf is there and he's incandescent with rage because he's like, were you saying that someone who came in pretended to be me? That's not even my signature. He's just yeah. absolutely You're blind, blind. I tell you, are blind. I got a bit Dracula with it. But yeah, and, and he's being a real dick uh, yeah. to everyone. And even to Marie Mavelli, he's like, why did you not give the diamond to Poirot? Like, uh, like he's just being, mm. yeah. He's he's lashing out all over the shop. But uh, yeah. Forrest is kind of watching it all happen, which is quite interesting. Mm. And at the time of the robbery, Rolf says he was nowhere near the hotel. He gets very defensive. And at that moment, 
Miss Lemon calls Poirot up and says that Lady Yardley's at Whitehaven and she seems terribly upset. And Poirot delivers the ominous line of... Now it begins. Um, and that's kind of where we have to drop it, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. uh, although Hopefully. we're only at the 29-minute mark... I know, right? And it's um, mm. we're at the 29-minute mark and there are 20 minutes to go. That 20 minutes is just full of exposition, isn't it? And it begins yeah. immediately upon... Poirot's return to Whitehaven Mansions and his meeting with Lady Yardley. So, if you want to solve it, I would say it's solvable. Probably, yeah, I think if, so. You know, if you if you're looking looking at the clues, you're uh, right. It's definitely solvable. I would say mm. just really, really look, pay look attention. for the subtext. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We won't go into any clues then, because unfortunately, if we list them, it will just tell you the two or three things that. Are per- perhaps not true, or yeah, yeah. You'll understand when the Dunedin happens. Exactly. So yeah, I think we should just go straight into Dunedin. But um, what's your favourite sick burn of the episode? Oh, there, there's some, there's some. I say this every episode because there isn't every episode. But uh, there's, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing around Belgium <laughs> as a film making country. First off, from Hastings just coming in hot with the whole mm-hmm. the only film star Belgium ever produced, and doesn't know they made films in Belgium. And then you've got Jap following it up later when Poirot's at the hairdresser and he's basically saying, gets his Poirot's all starry eyed, being like, Oh, uh, I was meeting with Marie Mavelle. And Jap's like, uh, Who's that? <laughs> uh, she's, he's, she's Belgium's biggest film star. And he's like, <laughs> You're pulling my leg. No, Chief Inspector, Poirot does not pull the legs. <laughs> Which is gold. It's just great. Yeah. yeah. How about my you? Too. Yeah. No, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's just, it's just the way he can't believe that you know his East End cockney yeah. uh, police detective doesn't know about the genteel Marie yeah. Marvel. <laughs> yeah, if Hastings <laughs> isn't at the industry. art house cinema, Jap definitely isn't at the art, <laughs> no, art house cinema. They don't do pasties. <laughs> no, then they're watching the G Men together. They yes. are not watching this kind of cinema. 100%. So, um, what would you rate this episode? Um, I quite like it. I, yeah. I think it's it's a smart little mystery, and the reveal, which is coming up like now, hmm. uh, it, it, it's very clever. And it's, yeah, I give it a, I give it a seven in terms yeah. of mystery. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Seven. I'd agree with this. I'd agree with like a six, seven for this one. It's mm. a lot more fun than I remembered it being while watching it back. Mm-hmm. And as when I was making my notes, I was like, oh, this is this is a fun one. I'm enjoying this mm. one. So yeah, I I agree. Good entertainment, good balance of comedy. I think I think it's genius that they made her a Belgian film star. Then because yeah. that's really nice. And mm. yeah, a, a solvable, solid mystery as well. Yes, minus all the racist stuff. But you know, mm. we're gonna it's gonna get worse before it gets better for a while. <laughs> on these. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, um, if you want to go away and solve it, do so. And because if you watch it up until the twenty nine minute mark. All the clues are there. Yeah. You just kind of have to strain your ear and make sure you're hearing everything <laughs> everyone is saying. But I say, yeah, it is it's definitely solvable. As yeah. I say, it's hard to list the clues without... Cause if we point out which parts are important, you'll go, oh, I see. Oh, I see. Yeah. oh right, okay, yeah, it must be that. Then. We might as well just tell so, you who did it. <laughs> yeah, we might as well just tell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, come back after the music and we'll tell you who did it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right, cool. Um, yeah, see you in a moment. Au revoir.
Welcome back. Did you manage to solve it? Frankie, do you want to reveal who the villain is in all of this? Well, shockingly, the villain in all of this is Gregory Rolf. Oh, Rolf. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, the one who's the guy who was acting like a complete dick turns out he's a complete dick. Yes. Revealed. Yes. Um, especially because he stole his own wife's diamond by there's no easy way of saying this. It's Using horrible. a little gun to make his eyes pointy. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Ever so slightly look different from the way he usually looks and trick the hotel staff into thinking a Chinaman had dressed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's lots more to it than that, but um, that's how he stole his wife's diamond. Yes. And right, let's talk about the other diamond and how that turned out shall we it's probably best if we let lady yardley turn yeah in. the eastern star was not stolen last night it was taken from me three years ago by monsieur gregory you know i am a detective lady yardley When we met in California, he was such fun. He was so... I was never more than indiscreet, Monsieur Poirot, I swear. But I wrote him some letters. And he blackmailed you? Yes. But you got back the letters? Only in return for the Eastern Star. And then your husband throws a hammer into the works when he tells you he wishes to sell the diamond. I was frantic. Gregory had arranged for Mr. Hofberg to make this paste replica. But I knew that an expert would spot it immediately. What happened then? I came here two days ago to tell you all this. You came here to tell us that you were being blackmailed? And about Monsieur Gregory Ralph? Why did you not? I didn't know Marie had already been to see you. And when Captain Hastings assumed I'd come for the same reason as her, I just lost my nerve. She comes in and spills all the tea all over the place and just, mm-hmm. yeah, she's basically says the actually star was stolen three years ago. What? Mm. Kind of. Kind, kind of. Stolen, isn't it? Yeah, so basically, Lady Yardley and Gregory Rolfe knew each other years before um, and had a fling. Uh, an mm-hmm. affair behind their both of their partners' back. And she wrote Rolf some letters, and he was going to spill the beans on their affair unless Lady Yardley sent her her diamond, the Eastern Star. So yeah. he took the Eastern Star, gave her her letters back, and gave the Eastern Star to his wife, Mary Marvell. So there mm. was only ever... One yeah. diamond. This whole thing about there being two diamonds was complete nonsense. In order to keep up appearances at home, Lady Yardley had a paste replica made. Well, he so, made it for her, didn't he? He got yes. it made for her. Yeah, that's right. So the one that she has is a paste replica, and the one that Mary Marvell has is the original. So when the Yardleys became hard up and her husband started saying, well, we need to sell the diamond, Lady Yardley has been panicking, and she staged that robbery. She um, 
very badly, I'm like. What? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? It was it was so kind of uh, Morecambe and Wise style. It's ridiculous. To like, oh, oh my god, the lights gone off. What? Like, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, fair play to her. She tried. She gave it her best. She she's not a professional. No, no. So yeah, she's she's been trying for years to get the diamond back so that they can sell it because they genuinely need the money. But obviously, Mary Marvel has the diamond. And it's actually revealed the day that she went to see Poirot and she met Hastings, she was going to tell him all of this. She was going to just mm. come out and lay her cards on the table. But Hastings, Hastings. what happens when you assume? <laughs> Ask you me. Uh, and he, yeah, he basically put words in her mouth and she ran with it because she also didn't realise that Marie Marvel had already been to see them and knew all, had all this stuff going on with her diamond. So in a, in a moment of panic, she said, oh, yes, yes, I mine has been, I've been getting letters as well. Mm. So... Whoopsie from Hastings, yeah. Yeah, so um, basically she really needs that diamond back so that her husband can sell it. So Poirot puts into action small plan. Basically Poirot's like, right, proper Poirot's going to come in and fix this this bad boy. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to go see Monsieur Hofberg, who he's the one that made the paste diamond that uh, she's been trying to pass off as her, her real diamond this whole time. He's a bit crooked, isn't he? He sort of he facilitates is. the black market in diamonds with pastes and replicas and finding buyers and sellers and things for real yeah he he's very well acquainted with uh van brax and he's been yeah basically van brax is waiting for hoffman to get him the eastern star western star whichever east west whichever Whichever. one you like yeah Yeah, uh, (laughs) so he uh goes to see him and he's basically presents the paste diamond to him and he's like i know what you've been doing i know you did this and now you better bloody fix it because uh, we need to get the real diamond back. So then the plan goes into action and Rolf shows up. Poirot scuttles off. Just quickly, I just want to quickly yes. clarify that uh, the whole plot was basically between uh, Rolf, Van Brax, who's buying the diamond yeah. that Rolf has stolen from his wife, and Hofberg, who's set up the sale um, and has also made it easy with this paste replica so there are three of them in it but rolf is the main villain here this whole thing was done so that he could steal his wife's diamond sell it to van brax that's why van brax has been hanging around this this tale and then i think rolf is planning to kind of do a runner isn't he and just yes he's leaving mary marvel behind because i don't think he was really ever in love with her no and presumably he he's wants to sell the, the the jewel to Van Brack so he can go and buy more ridiculous coats. The mm-hmm. most the, the most coat. the coat. I gasped when I saw the coat for the first time. <laughs> for the benefit of the listener, I know some people don't watch the episodes when we talk about them, but dear God, Rolf's coat. He rocks up <laughs> out <laughs> at Hatton Garden wearing a full length. Mm. question mark yeah it's a huggy bear masterpiece isn't it yes it's just ingenious yeah i said to you we watched this before um we started recording today and i was like wow he looks like a squirrel you were like no he looks like a nest of squirrels yeah a family of squirrels he is it is the most ridiculous coat i've ever seen in my entire life it's like an otter orgy on a man isn't it (laughs) exactly it's like he covered himself in glue and rolled around on the floor of a barber shop and (laughs) that is how he constructed the coat but it's ridiculous but he clearly he's got big big designs i can only imagine what he's gonna use for the money use the money for next (laughs) what's he gonna buy a a suit made of that fur he looks like like i said he looks a bit like raccoon mario 
<laughs> he really um, does. Nothing. So uh, oh. he's off to the airport with the diamond that he's just gotten from Hofburg. Um, and he's going to meet Van Brax at the airport. They're going to do the deal. And then they're both going to go their separate ways. Poirot has decided that Mary Marvel needs to know the truth about this scoundrel. So he goes to visit her and I won't try and copy what he says. But basically they have a conversation in French. It's very touching. And you can tell that he's laying it all out and telling Mary Marvel. He's telling Mary Marvel what's happened to her diamond, what her husband is. But because it's in French and there's no subtitles, I'm assuming that, you know, if you're a French speaker, you'd just be listening mm. to it going, oh, right, I see, that was the plot. Oh, we. We, 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 our. We, we, we. yes. Trivia, yes, d'accord. Yeah. But um, there, there are no subtitles, and Mary Marvel is growing increasingly despondent at what Poirot is telling her. So, uh, yes. Yeah. And then it's just a case of um, Jab arriving on the scene as they do the deal. The thing is, they do the they do the swap at the airport, don't they? Yeah. Van Brax instantly recognises that the diamond he's just been given by Gregory Rolf is paste replica. Yeah. And that's when the Jap swoops in on them both. The Jap, Jap of the Yard. The Japper. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for Jap, although there was nefarious dodgy dealings going on, because it's a paste diamond. Mm. He hasn't really got anything to get Van Brax on. So unfortunately, mm. Van Brax does have the last laugh on this one. He's like, yeah, great. Let's yeah. go to the police station. Let's tell them that I was yeah. buying a paste fake diamond with a suitcase full of cash that I always carry on me because that's normal. Um, my favorite bit as well is when Rolf tries to run away in that coat. That, you're not going to go anywhere in that coat. That The wind resistance alone is it, getting it through the door out of the building would be impossible with that coat. So, yeah. It they is, could just uh, set the dogs onto him. <laughs> yeah, they'll think he's a squirrel. They'll chase him. And yeah. It'll be all done. So, mm. yeah, mystery solved. But then uh, while well, that arrest, non-arrest is going on, because they do arrest Rolf because he did steal mm. the diamond. and He did, yeah. From his wife. Bad man. Mm. But Poirot goes back to Whitehaven where... Hastings and Lady Yardley are waiting and he gives her back her diamond. He gives her back her diamond. So after all, after the three years of being blackmailed and worrying about it all, Poirot just gives her back the diamond and all is well in Yardley camp. And she gets to kiss him on the head, which is... She does. She kisses him. It's lovely. The only real loser from this, obviously the villains, but is Mary Marvell, poor girl. So, uh, yeah, she found out her husband is a scoundrel and that the diamond he gave to her as a present actually belonged to someone else and... A woman he had an affair with. and Yeah. Yeah, and then Hastings pretty much says the exact same thing you just said to Poirot, being like... You know, you say you've got this particular sensitivity to women and all that, Poirot. It seems to me that all you've done for Marie Marvell is to lose her, her husband. Her blackmailing adulterous husband, who is also the thief? That he's such a great loss, Hastings? How little you understand the feminine psychology and feminine needs, Hastings... Well, you're right there. But then also, lovely little ending of the show, mm. really cute little wrap-up where Poirot's made veal for Hastings. What a lucky and he's boy. he's marinated it in wine, vinegar and fennel seeds, which actually sounds pretty amazing. We have yeah. to try that one. That's going in the recipe book, for sure. Sure is. <laughs> for sure. Yes. And there's also a lovely little burn that Poirot mm. administers towards the end as well. But when... Hastings says, like, uh, you basically just lost Marie Mavella's husband. I can't really see how you actually helped her in any way. And he says, oh, you know, her blackmailing adulterous husband. 
Uh, how little you understand feminine psychology and feminine needs, Hastings. <laughs> Hastings is like, yeah, fair enough. Back off, Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Hastings is like, no, you're right. I really don't understand. You're right, yes, yes. The I'm needs of a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Hastings has also uh, been building some kind of little list thing to help him not be such a failure in the future, which I find really cute. He has a little column where he writes down things that he doesn't understand. And then when he finds out the explanation for them, he writes the explanation. And one of the things he reads out is, well, we'll just let Hastings tell you. Well, the first thing is, if Lady Yardley's got the real diamond now, and the other one was imitation, who's got the other eye of the Chinese god? Hastings. There was no Chinese god. There was no connection with China whatsoever. Now close your little book and eat your dinner. Can you imagine how long the I don't understand list is? <laughs> I was just going to say, there's nothing in the other column. It's like a scroll. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Close your little book and eat your dinner. Very cute. Yeah. Shut up. Stop being yourself and <laughs> eat the food that I've spent six hours marinating. It's a cute episode, isn't it? It is cute. Yes. <laughs> it's a typical series two episode that we've had mm. some really nice, strong consistent ones i think it's very like the the world building they do in series two it's it's really cool Mm. because you really do get to know everyone's personalities and the bits they've added as you say like the whole jap speech at the women's institute the whole you know hastings trying to be a detective all the way through series two as well yeah and sort of realizing his limitations Mm. yeah and the belgian Mm. connection in this is Mm. beautiful it's really great you really do feel like they're starting to become part of the family now and and instead of just characters fabulous and never, don't forget as well we kicked off series two with peril at end house with that beautiful oh. ice cream scene at the end so it's, oh it's a wonderful, god wonderful series. what a mm. bloody brilliant show this is i just mm-hmm. really you know is. what we haven't we hadn't recorded for a couple of weeks i think we we did this one quite a last one quite a while ago i really missed i really missed the show like i've been watching mm. them anyway because i've just been missing them so much I'm going to be bereft yeah. when we lose the Whitehaven 4 and we just go down to, to Poirot. Yeah, and we're not far away, unfortunately. No. So, yeah, we, yeah. we could theorise about what the Whitehaven 4 are up to. when we. Let's um, do that. Yeah, yes, please. Do that. Because we yeah. don't want to let go. We just can't. Never. <laughs> yeah, and we will see them at the very, very end, but that's a way off. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we are going to finish off Series 2 with a big one, aren't we? Um, because Ooh. officially, series two ends with a feature-length Poirot. The way, very much the way it began. Uh, Parallel End House was a great way to kick off things, but it's kind of a bit. A bit there's a bit of time travel involved with yeah. the last one of series two. They went all out, didn't they? They even lost mm-hmm. the theme for this one. Uh, they were treating it like a big, big thing, a big movie experience. Frankie, yeah. go on, spill the beans. Oh, well, it's only the bloody mysterious affair at Styles, the very first OG Poirot story that was ever written by Agatha Christie. We're going yeah. back to the beginning. The first book she wrote, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like right her back. first book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the story of how Poirot and Hastings come together to form their little detective endeavour. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll get into it. It's oh, fabulous. it's going to be it's... great. It's really, really important episode as well, not just because the mystery is great, and uh, not just because of how we get the meat cute with uh, Poirot and Hastings, but it also ties in in a very circular roundabout way to 
the very last story, which <sighs> takes place at the very same place. So she really did start at a place and finish him in the same place. So really, you know, perhaps more than any other episode, it's incredibly important to the Poirot legend, shall we say. Absolutely. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a feature length, uh, guys. So it may be even be a slightly longer episode than normal. We'll see how we get on. But uh, And then we're going to take a few weeks off in between seasons and then we'll be back with a bang for how does your garden grow we're gonna have our little viewing party and we will mm. yeah be, get back into series three yeah we're not gonna be gone for long it's just um yeah, it's, we have things to do for the summer don't we so. do we <laughs> yes we do <laughs> You know, living and breathing. <laughs> yes, and it will be all the better for the break. We'll come back hungry for some hot Poirot action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way of saying it. <laughs> so. Is there any other kind? Mm, I, I don't think so. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thanks for listening. We'll see you for the next episode. Very exciting. The Mysterious Affair at Styles in two weeks. And don't forget to mark in your diaries June the 4th. Uh, 1700 BST we'll send the links out on the socials and in the show notes of the next episode as well so um, do join us for How Does Your Garden Grow and you can catch up with the first episode of series 3 with us live and um, yes we'll be taking comments and answering questions and stuff during this showing as well so that'll be lots of fun but uh, until then Frankie it's been a pleasure as always likewise (laughs) and uh, au revoir Au revoir. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelabourzofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis.